Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to three places if you'd like. John chapter 14 is where we'll start. Then we'll go to Romans chapter 5. And then finally, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5. So John 14, and we'll be in Romans 5. And then we'll be in Matthew chapter 5. And the title of my message today is, Are You a Troublemaker or a Peacemaker? Are you a troublemaker or a peacemaker? Now, a couple months ago, I stumbled upon a Bible study from a friend of mine, Pastor Tim Brown. He pastors at Calvary Chapel up in Northern California, and he was teaching on the topic of being a peacemaker. And I watched it, and it was so powerful that I then took it into our staff meeting. We put it up on the screen, and we watched it together as a staff. And it stirred up so many ideas in my heart and my mind, which, by the way, is why I choose to take notes when I listen to Bible studies, because everything gets stirred up, but if I don't write it down, there's a good chance I'm going to forget it. So I started jotting it down, and I felt like as I was praying that God wanted me to deliver a similar message. So I emailed him, and I asked him if I could use some some of his message that we listened to and develop a Bible study around it, and of course, he allowed me to do that. And so this weekend... As we launch into another unknown year, another year uh, really not understanding how it's going to turn out, what's going to happen, I believe the Lord has a word for us, and that word is peace. Peace, that we walk in not only with the peace of God, but we also walk into this new year as peacemakers. Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 14. I draw your attention there to verse 27. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled and neither let it be afraid. As we enter into a new year, we receive the gift of the peace of God. As born again believers, we have received the the sum and substance of the peace of God in our lives. Jesus says, I'm going to give it to you. All you need to do is receive it and enjoy it, and live in it. So notice with me now in Romans chapter 5, as born-again believers, peace is one of the gifts we receive from the Lord. Paul, when he's writing to the church in Rome, he says, therefore, having been justified, this is chapter 5, verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So Jesus says, you will have, and now Paul says, we do have. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I'm reminded again, Paul would write to the Philippians and he'd say, be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Having that settled peace is something that only a true born-again believer can experience. To to know that everything's crashing in around us. 
And all the chaos that's happening to us, all, all the drama and difficulty that might be in the world today, that might be in our families today, that might be in our church today, we can face it. Even in an unknown year, we can face it with the peace of God. We have peace, and then the Lord would have us to move forward as peacemakers. I love this because when Paul says we have peace with God, he's basically declaring that the war is over. The war with God is over. The Bible describes those apart from God as being at enmity with God. Like there is an animosity between those that are unbelievers and God. You remember back in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, God created a perfect environment and then created two perfect human beings. And up until the moment that they sinned, they had a beautiful existence with God. A sweet fellowship that not even you and I have experienced yet because they experienced it without sin. They experienced a purity of relationship that was amazing. But of course, they made a decision to rebel. And they lost that sweet fellowship, or as we're learning in the book of Acts, that koinonia with God. So much so that they lived under such condemnation and shame that they tried to run away from God and hide themselves in their separation. They, they actually recognized that now their lives are against a holy and a righteous God because they no longer were holy or righteous. But by faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. If you'd like to write in your Bibles, you can circle that word peace, and along with it, it has the idea of binding together, binding together that which was separated. There's a picture of facing God, where you, when, you, when peace is binding together, and that word with has the idea of proximity and relationship. When you're with somebody, you're close to them, and being close to them, you're often face to face. And so you have this peace now with God facing him. You could say you can look God in the eye and know that by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are at peace with God. But there's also another type of peace that we get to enjoy. It's not just the peace with God, but we also get to enjoy the peace of God. That settled contentment that I can trust God with my life. That is ours by faith. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we now have the peace of God. Now it's true, I don't always enjoy the peace of God. You know, those of you that are worriers or those of you that, that are easily troubled, you too have your peace of God attacked from time to time. But you've got to come back to that place of faith. It's kind of like the love of God. We always have the love of God, but as we learned previously, we need to learn to keep ourselves in the love of God where we can enjoy it. And I think peace is the same way. We always have the peace of God. It's ours by faith, but we need to make that effort to keep ourselves in a place where we enjoy the peace of God, no matter what's happening around us. There are things that just come into our lives that are peace robbers and joy stealers. But by faith, we are people of peace. Which leads us to Matthew chapter 5, which is the bulk of our time today. And that is, as people of peace, we are to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. And there is a big difference between the two. We are to be peacemakers. The place of blessing is being a peacemaker. The, the place of constant turmoil is being a troublemaker. And draw your attention in verse 1 in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, it says, seeing the multitudes went up on a mountain 
When he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Then he comes to verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice, be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Never before has the world needed peacemakers like today. Now, I'm not saying that other times in history peacemakers weren't needed because Jesus is teaching this in the very beginning of his ministry, reminding in the first century that there's a blessing to peacemaker. But I'm speaking to our generation. I'm speaking to those of us that are alive now. Those of us who were born for this moment in time. Never before has we seen the necessity of being a peacemaker than now. That the church would be the church walking into very difficult situations with the goal and the motive of being under the blessing of God. And that blessing is being a peacemaker. Why? Because, I mean, look around. We see the damage all around us just in the last few years. And the damage that's been done just in the last few years has been built upon generation after generation turning their backs on God. And it's not just in our country. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Rebellion and resistance against the things of God. But for us personally, I mean, think about the things you've endured in the last couple of years. Of course, there's the medical pandemic with a real virus that has done real damage to many lives. There's partisan politics surrounding all of that. There's an intensity of racial divides and discrimination. There's tensions like never before. And on and on the list could go. In the storm, in the wake of the storms of the last couple years, there's an uneasiness. There's an imbalance. I mean, think about it. Right when you think things are getting back to some kind of normal. Remember, we've been learning all these years. Don't look for normal. Don't look for normal. Look for the Lord. Because you'll be highly disappointed because whatever normal is, is going to change from, from time to time. So instead, we're going to keep our eyes on the Lord. We're going to look to Him. We've been learning that um, very much, you know, we've been emphasizing that very much now the last few years. But just when you think things are going to stabilize, the rug gets pulled out from under you. And some new thing happens, some new challenge happens, both in a global but also on a personal level. The damage is all around us. And I want you to consider, let's break it down a little bit, I want you to consider a few of the things that you and I have lived with and lived through and perhaps are living with even now just in the last couple of years. Number one, this increase of division. Have you ever seen a time that's been more divided than now? I mean, the division is unbelievable. Divisions in churches, divisions of churches against churches, divisions with pastors, divisions in families. I mean, you think about it, we've just got through the holidays, and how many had difficult conversations at the Thanksgiving table? How many had difficult conversations at the, how many have got mad? How many, I mean, it has been, like, it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable, the division that we've been experiencing. It's like nothing I've ever seen in the entirety of my life and my walk with the Lord. Number two, there's an increase of broken trust. 
broken trust. Think about you, how hesitant we are to trust people now. We're not sure if anybody's telling us the truth anymore. We're, the, the institutions we used to look to can't be looked to anymore. And, and the information we receive, we're not sure. Then even when we go to check it out, we're not sure if that's sure. And we're not sure about it. Which is like, who do we trust anymore? And we're just learning to live that way, which is isolating, making people independent, and more divisive. Thirdly, we see all these shattered relationships. Isolation's increased, separation, loneliness. People are just writing people off now. Or as we see in our culture, there's a whole new phrase, the cancel culture. That's happening, has been happening, but we're seeing it much more. Where you're just not willing to dialogue anymore. Not willing to learn how to disagree agreeably. Not learning how to lovingly care for one another. It's not new, but it's certainly increasing. Add to that, fourthly, this level of anger and angst that doesn't seem to go away. So many people angry and upset and expressing it. And it, it's, there's, there's a lot of different things adding to it, but I want you to consider just how angry you've been lately. And even if you haven't allowed it to come out like with this big you know, outburst of wrath, how you've been keeping it in and keeping it in, and you're like on a hair trigger, you are right on the edge. So many people living on the edge today and just the wrong time in the wrong situation and it's explosive. And I know a lot of believers go, well, you know, Ed, the Bible says I can be angry and not sin. Yeah, but bro, you passed that a long time ago. Like that you have, you are way beyond what, G, what Paul was referring to there. That righteous anger, it's not righteous anymore. You're just angry about everything. Add to that, number five, the hurt and the trauma. Just everyday life. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have been diagnosed with cancer. Some of you lost your jobs. Some of you, the separation has been family members, so that cuts deep. And you know, injuries and hurt and trauma, they don't heal so quickly. You carry a lot of this trauma all the way into heaven. And just beaten and battered and challenging and difficult. Then you add to that, sixthly, we see so much suspicion now. Suspicion, where it's not that you just don't know who to trust anymore. Suspicion's more sinister and that's really divisive because when I'm suspicious of you, I automatically think the worst about you. I don't want to give you the benefit of the doubt. I don't know what you're up to and how you want to take advantage of me. And you can see how that damages the psyche and the soul of a human being. How it deeply, deeply hurts people. And so what does Jesus give to us? He gives us the seventh beatitude. The seventh beatitude for us as believers that have the peace of God, that enjoy peace with God, the peace of God. He says, okay, now there is a blessing for you being a peacemaker. Now take that peace and go help other people find the same peace. Be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Now, Peacemaking just doesn't happen all by itself. It's within the context of these behaviors. We've studied this in depth in our study in Matthew, but for the sake of our time today, understand the progression of the position and the posture of a peacemaker. It starts out with recognizing your poverty, your spiritual poverty, recognizing who God is and who you are. And then secondly, it then leads to your mourning, 
Like, like you have an emotional response to the pain and the hurt of this world. You have emotional response to your own poverty, your own distance from God. Like you're realizing what a great gift of salvation God has given to you. Then you are, respond with a meekness, or as we read in the, in the psalm today, a broken heart, a contrite spirit. You live in humility. Meekness is not weakness. It's the same word that's used to describe Moses back in Numbers of his humility. It's also the same word to use to describe Jesus in his ministry of humility. It's power under control. It's holding back when you know you can, but you choose to submit yourself to the cross, to the, to the Lord in humility. And then he says, now, what are you really hungry for? Well, what are you really thirsty for? And he says, you're going to be blessed when you're hungry and thirsty for right things, for the righteousness of God. When you apply Matthew 6.33, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto us. Then you have that merciful heart. Mercy is super powerful, and it's a wonderful attribute to have. To help you understand the definition of mercy, I want to give you three words, because you got to remember these, all these three words together. The words judgment, mercy, and grace. Those three words will help you understand. You need to understand all three of them, not only in relationship to your God, but also to others. When you learn how to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you have to understand these three words. So judgment, by definition, is getting exactly what you deserve. When you receive judgment, like, for example, if you've been convicted for a crime and you're standing for the judge for sentencing, he is going to hand down the judgment, you will get what you deserve. That's why nobody standing before a judge says, give me what I deserve. Instead, what do they say? We want mercy. Show me mercy. Well, why would you ask for mercy? Well, if judgment is getting what you deserve, mercy is not getting what you deserve. So if they reduce the sentence or put you on probation or something, you don't get what you deserve. You're guilty, but you've been treated with mercy. Think about what mercy would look like in a world that's broken, in a world that's difficult with the people you disagree with, when you don't give them what they deserve. Why? Because the third word, grace. Judgment is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. What is grace? Receiving what you don't deserve. Receiving what you don't deserve. That's why grace is so valuable. The forgiveness of our sins, the removal of shame and guilt. Why? Not because of our good works, but because of the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. You are a blessed man and a blessed woman when you're merciful. He says not only that, when you're merciful, you also receive mercy. It's a sweeter world when we're not all going around trying to give each other what everyone deserves, but rather showing mercy. Then notice he says in verse 8 that there's a blessedness to purity of heart. I mean, by the time you get here, you're just in a place of, Lord, whatever you have for me, I love you. I so appreciate you. I, I know the world's chaotic and out of control, but I'm abiding in you. And you've given me a steady place of power and peace, and which leads you to the blessing of being a peacemaker. Being a peacemaker. I love how Chuck Swindoll describes this. I want to read it to you, and I quote, Those who make peace relieve tensions and don't feed fuel to fires of controversy. Let me repeat that. Those who make peace relieve tensions and don't feed fuel to fires of controversy. A peacemaker seeks resolutions to arguments and debates. A peacemaker works hard to keep offenses from festering into fractured relationships. 
A peacemaker's words generate light, but not heat. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's important to note that being a peacemaker does not amount to being a passive person who lies down like a doormat and lets people walk all over them. The kind of peacemaking referred to here is active, not passive. Peacemakers are engaged in a ministry of reconciliation and restoration, entering troubled waters to help bring calm. In this way, they model in this life the ministry of Jesus, the Son of God, who came preaching peace and reconciliation to those willing to hear. Peacemaking is not troublemaking, not making things worse, not destroying people, not hurting them, harming them, looking down upon them. I want you to consider a few things as it relates to peacemaking in the last couple of years, things that have become very divisive, things that have created a lot of destruction, a lot of suspicion, just hot topics. And the hot topics of day will soon pass. There'll be new hot topics in the future until the Lord returns. But I want you to consider them today. I want to quote uh, Pastor Tim on this, on some of the things that we've been dealing with in the last couple years. You cannot be a peacemaker if you're offended by unwise decisions and perceived foolishness of others. You can't be a peacemaker if you're always offended by decisions that you don't like, that you don't want, and, and you get upset with them, and you find yourself alienating people because you disagree with them. Let me show you what I mean. Look, notice in verse 21 of chapter 5 of Matthew. Chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus goes on to teach in the very same message. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of the hellfire. And so it's easy to read through the Bible and read through this and, and almost come to this and say, well, this will never applies to me because I can't think of the last time I ever told somebody, Raka. It's like, I can't think of it, so I guess it doesn't apply to me because I don't go around telling people, Raka. Okay, I want to give you another word to replace Raka that the English could be translated here as well. Basically, Jesus is teaching us that murder in our heart occurs when we diminish the value of someone because we disagree with them or we're angry with them. And it's progressive. It's first angry, anger without a cause. Then we start to think bad. We start to call them names and we diminish them as foolish and unwise. But the word raka is interesting. A word that is more common today that could be translated instead of raka is idiot. When you call someone an idiot, you diminish their value and you place them in a position where no longer in your mind do they deserve the love of God. Why? Because they're an idiot and decisions are idiotic and I can't believe they did this. What are those idiots doing? And whether you ever say it, it's enough to think it. I'll tell you where this word comes to mind in my life. I wish I could stand up here and go, everybody be like me. I never say raka, but I don't. It comes up a lot when I'm driving. And I feel so selfish on the road. And, and I get upset with some behavior of someone's driving. And, and you know what? The truth is, I don't know what's going on in that car. 
I don't know where they're headed. I don't know if they're on their way to the hospital. I don't know if they're running away. I don't know anything about them. But I am very selfishly quick to assign to them some, some name, some, some thought, or even perhaps saying it out loud. Or I too am guilty of this. And it's become very popular in the political environment today for Christians, believers, to be saying things about people that should never come out of our mouths. That we have murdered people in our hearts and we think it's okay. And then we wonder, why is the world not captured? Why is the world not being turned upside down? Why, do not, why is it that we're not making any progress for the gospel? Could it be your own heart? Could it be you? Could it be me? Am I abiding presence? Am I no longer standing in a place of peace? Consider these things again, quoting from Pastor Tim here, and I quote, if you think that those who are against COVID-19 vaccinations are complete idiots, you can't be a peacemaker. If you think that those who approve of COVID-19 vaccinations are fools and puppets, you can't be a peacemaker. If you see your main goal is trying to persuade people to think the way you do, you can't be a peacemaker. If you avoid people who don't think the way you do, you can't be a peacemaker. If you can't move past what others think about masks, vaccinations, churches opening or closing, who they voted for for president, you can't be a peacemaker. If you're stuck in the deadlock of disagreement, you can't be a peacemaker. A peacemaker seeks to break up deadlocks, not make them worse. A peacemaker, peacemaker looks beyond what is to what could be. A peacemaker isn't out to punish enemies, but to make friends. Peacemakers don't shun or shame those who they disagree with. A peacemaker doesn't seek to find common ground in a cause, but in Christ. So the question is, are you a peacemaker or a troublemaker? If you're all about showing people they're wrong, putting people in their place, you're more a troublemaker than you are a peacemaker. Peacemaking doesn't actually begin with a decision to be a peacemaker. Peacemaking begins by being a person of peace yourself. Trusting in God's will for your life. Remembering you were born for a time like this. You were born as a born-again believer to live in this actual time, living out your faith in Jesus. And of course there'll be people you disagree with, and of course there'll be opinions that you hold, and of course you'll have personal convictions. But the question is, is how do you live them out? And what's really important to you? That's a question we have to ask as the church. What's really important? Peacemaking isn't like a skill set that you can read a book or listen to a Bible study. Like, like, you know, like if a police officer wanted to grow and maybe take a class on being a negotiator, you can teach someone how to negotiate. You can give them those skills. Peacemaking isn't like a skill to be learned. It's a position to be lived. When you elevate yourself and your own causes and opinions above the cause of Christ, you're not going to be a peacemaker. When, when you take strong positions because of personal convictions of things that really God gives room for in his scriptures, you're not going to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker is at rest in the middle of a storm, not making the storm worse, not jumping in the middle of it. A peacemaker is not offended when evil is done to him, when the winds and the waves push you back. A peacemaker, she knows that Jesus has her back, and her main purpose isn't to punish an enemy, 
but to make a friend through the manifestation of the blessing and mercies of God of the position. It sounds a lot like Jesus. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter writes, for Christ also suffered once for sin. So I want you to see suffering tied to, listen, Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That is why you're on the planet, church, to bring people to God. And it's going to be attached naturally to suffering. In this world, Jesus said in John 16, you're going to experience tribulation, suffering. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. You have a singular goal. Get people to Christ. Bring people to God. And here's the thing. A great tragedy has overtaken the church the last couple years. Even some of my friends, men that I've served in ministry with. I mean, there's one brother. This one brother... I was watching a video not too long ago and, and he's there and he's just boom, boom, boom. He's putting all the popular things and everything that's popular right now. And what does he do? He, he categorizes a group and you know what he calls them? Idiots. How can you possibly justify that? How can you possibly, and then have it out there and go, this is what I believe and I'm, and he's a pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You just can't go around doing that. Jesus said you'd be a murderer in your heart. And what's happened in the church in the last couple years, I don't think it's a new phenomenon, but it's certainly something we've experienced now, I think for the very first time, is that causes have eclipsed Christ as the common ground. So now people are separating by their causes and not by Christ. So you got this group over here, and then this group over here is upset with this group over here because they got these causes when we all should be at the cross where that's where even, that's where we're all equal. That's where, that's where we all recognize our lostness, our poverty of spirit, where we're mourning over our condition, where we're praying for the world, where we're bringing people to Christ. It's no longer enough to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now you have to confess Jesus and believe in the resurrection and be an anti-masker. Now you have to be a pro-masker. You have to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, but also you need to advocate for vaccinations or not vaccinations. And now the common ground is no longer Christ. And now you have people calling each other names and looking down at each other for more reasons than ever before. No longer does, does our creed include eternal truth about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but now we've added causes. We've added causes about what political party you're in. Because, I mean, if you're a Republican, then you can't be a Democrat. And if you're a Democrat, you can't be a Republican. And, and there you are looking down on, I can't believe those guys. You know, I can't believe this. And look who's president. And look who's a, like, oh, okay, but what happened to the gospel? What happened to the gospel? The good news that someone's sins can be forgiven by the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ. And now there's a category of people that you can look down to and go, Raka. Oh, Ned, I've never said Raqqa. I know. Instead, you're watching the news going, idiots. Idiots. That's our church. Some of you. And there you are, just justifying. What do you think is going to happen to your heart? Where you're sinning and justifying, sinning and justifying. What do you think is going to happen to your heart? I'll tell you. You don't, need to, you don't even need to worry about it. I'll tell you. Your heart will become hard to the things of God. And then you'll go through the motions and go through the motions, eventually finding someone that agrees with you. So now you've got a pastor with a hard heart, encouraging your hard heart, not making a difference for the gospel at all. I mean, this is, 
these are life and death issues that we're in. And it's just been so polarizing in these last couple years. And the polar, if you're stuck on one of the sides, it's going to be very challenging for you to be a peacemaker. It's going to be very challenging for you to, to help, as Chuck Swindoll said, relieve tensions. It's going to be very hard for you to provide solutions and resolutions. It's going to be very challenging for you to reconcile because you've taken up a side. Common ground today is no longer faith in Christ, but now we've got political parties, the direction of our nation, on and on it goes. It's no longer faith in Christ, but it's your political philosophies and your cultural causes. And the irony is, is that as causes have multiplied, there's less common ground for people to stand on because they don't know what to believe in, because they don't know which position to hold, because they don't know if they're going to get beat up for it. They come to talk to you about Jesus, and all you want to do is talk about your thing, talk about your conviction, and just lay into them about why do this and why that, instead of making room so that more and more people can come to the cross. Like, you know that there's going to be offense with people. There will always be offended. But don't let the offense be you and your opinion and your convictions and you being upset all the time. Don't let the offense be your position, your personality, your name-calling, your diminishing. I mean, you think about it. The diminish a person created in the image of God is a sin, a sin that we all need to repent from. Like when we begin to see people as anyone other than someone created in the image of God, believer or unbeliever alike, then we automatically begin to think, well, if they're, not, if they're less than me, then I don't need to love them. I don't need to care about them. I can write them off. Imagine that, Christians writing people off. May the Lord forgive us and the church at large. You know, we think we're fighting for nations and constitutions and things. You know, when I read the Bible, I see God using nations to judge his people for becoming idolatrous. I see entire countries taking into captivity because they turn their back on God. And I see God answering the repentant heart and drawing repentant hearts back to them. You see, God, he wants to save people. You could have a message like this and go, hey, well, don't you care about our country? Of course I do. I know this is a sensitive topic. I, I think of those of you that served in the military or, or those of you that lost someone in the military to fight for our freedoms. I respect that. I honor that. I appreciate that. I think of those that you that are police officers getting, uh, getting treated as if you're not needed or not wanted or on the other side of that. And we say, oh, we appreciate you. I think of those of you that are people of color that have been discriminated against your whole life. And I say, I appreciate you. But I'll tell you this. I appreciate the gospel of Jesus Christ greater. He's the one that died for us. He's the one that allowed us to be in the same room together. He's the one that allowed us to live our lives to please him. He's the one that allowed, you know, as I look at my own life, I see how my convictions have changed over the years. Have yours? I mean, now when somebody asks me as a parent, you know, they ask me for parenting advice, I look back and go, man, I wish I would have parented like this back then because I've changed my mind. Now, it's not like I wasn't like, in some kind of sin, but, but over time, I've matured and I've grown, and I would do it differently. Even as a believer now, I look back and go, man, I would do it differently. For and so my kids are going, I wish you would have too, but that's too late for that. God got us through it because we're all making mistakes, right? We're all learning in grace. But think about what's happened. Why is the church so ineffective today? It's not just because we haven't gone back to the book of Acts. It's because we're in unrepentant sin. That's why. 
It's not because we're not in the early church where the power of the Holy Spirit's upon us. No, the power of the Holy Spirit is upon us. We're just grieving the Holy Spirit. And if we, if we, we, we find ourselves adding, you see, what happens when you add something to the gospel, not only do you lose the gospel, but you create more division. When you add something to the gospel, it doesn't bring unity. It brings another group to divide over. And now we no longer see each other for who we are in Christ. We no longer see a lost watching world. We, we no longer find ourselves wanting to love and show mercy and grace to others. Now we want to fight for our cause. And I'm telling you what, the Lord won't bless that. You will not be in a position of blessing. We need to call the church back to its mission, its mandate, and the message of Christ. Singularly. And I don't have a responsibility over the whole church, but God has given me a small responsibility over this church, and I am now passionately begging you that if you have left, get back to the message of the cross. Get back. Peace with God comes by means of the cross. I'll tell you, the reason why causes are popping up so much and people are so excited about them is they don't require you to die to yourself. If you adopt a cause, you don't have to die to yourself. As a matter, it's the exact opposite. You get to live. You get to speak. You get to be loud. You get to be surrounded with people that agree with you and we're all going to be in. And a cause doesn't require you to deny yourself. It does the exact opposite. Elevate yourself. A cause doesn't require you to take up a cross because that's the thing that the cross is what's given you the cause. It's not the cross of Christ. It's your own perceived pain and difficulty that you've gone through. No, the message of the cross is what's offensive. It is offensive to be told, you know what, you want to follow Jesus? Deny yourself. You want to follow Jesus? Take up your cross. Absorb yourself in him. Peacemakers are those that deny themselves and carefully and deliberately follow Christ. Everything is crucified so that Jesus will be glorified. And listen, it's not that you'll lose your opinions. Of course you'll have your opinions. And it's not that you'll lose your convictions. Of course you'll have convictions. And it's not that you're going to lose your strongly held beliefs. No, you will make sure that they're subordinate to the cross of Jesus Christ. And you know what will happen? They will become less, right? Remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus? He says, he must increase and I must decrease. So as you hold on to these things, as they change from year to year and they change from time to time, as you, as you hold on to these, but you elevate the cross, the things that you think are so important, you start to let go because you subordinate them to the cross. That's what saved, the cross saved you, not some cause. The cross saved you, not some opinion. The, the cross of Jesus Christ is what brings salvation. When we allow political positions or cultural causes, or concerned convictions eclipse the gospel, you no longer have the gospel. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 1, we preach Christ crucified. That's our message. He is the common ground we rest upon, stand upon, build upon. You and me, every true believer in town. A peacemaker doesn't have enemies to punish, but friends to make. A peacemaker looks beyond what can be, from what is to what can be. Sees a kingdom that's coming, not the little kingdoms that exist today. 
A peacemaker overcomes evil, not with law or power or threats, but with good. A peacemaker is not a politician. A peacemaker is a person of peace. Paul would tell the Romans, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it's possible, listen, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. As much as depends on you. A soft answer turns away wrath, we learn. Proverbs 25.15 says, Patience can persuade a prince, but soft speech can break bones. A peacemaker doesn't need to be provocative or controversial or try to get all these followers on YouTube. or like You, don't need, you, don't, you just need to be the man and woman that God has called you to be. A peacemaker understands the power of words and uses them carefully to bring unity, not more division. There's a stark difference between reaction and response. And a summary of that could be reactions usually are sharp words and condemning things, like putting people. When you react, it almost, is, it almost has this sense of defensiveness, and then defensiveness always leads to attack. Ask any married couple, they'll tell you. You get defensive, and then boom, you go back on the attack because you don't want to be defensive. And that happens in the world. And reactionary, just reacting to this and reacting to this. And what are we getting? All this info, all this info, all this info. React, 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 react. And the churches lost their mind. Pastors of, I mean, good friends of mine, I, I can't really spend a lot of time with them anymore because they have gone off in a way that I just, I can't be a part of. It's not the gospel. And you know, if I shared that with them, they wouldn't agree with me, but that, they're just going to have to take it to the Lord. And I wonder how many listening to me right now, near and far, have just left the gospel. There's just this reactionary, angry, mad person that if you were caught, one of your actions were caught and posted on TikTok, you'd be embarrassed. Everybody's watching all everyone else. We even got names for them. They're Karens. Well, what if you are Karen? And we played you up on the screen. How Would you be proud of your Christian witness because you got caught up in it all? You forgot the cross? You're upset? Somebody left their shopping cart in the wrong place? You're upset because somebody has a bumper sticker of a opposing political party? You're upset because, and you fill in the blanks. What happened to the cause of Christ, church? We don't know if 2022 is the last year. We don't know even as my brother Ray in beautiful, wonderful health instantly is gone within moments. We don't know in our last moments here. We got to live out our life going strong for the things of Jesus. We want to learn not to be so reactionary, but to respond. To respond. Responses are usually given with more grace and patience. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so today, as we enter into 2022, I recognize not an easy receive, not easy to receive a message like this. I understand. This could be replayed every year if the Lord gives us more, that God's calling us to be a peacemaker. That's always been the calling. Jesus taught this in the first century. But never more than ever do we need to reevaluate and reassess our own walk with the Lord, us personally. Believe me, this is a hard, this is a hard message to deliver, but it's a harder message to receive putting it together, praying through it. 
asking each line, do you really want to say that? Do you really want to say that? Do you really want to say that? You know, every pastor goes through that. Do you really want to say that? We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.